in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hey, Art! Hey, Bunk Funkers! Welcome to another thrilling edition of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. <laughs> Andy, you're like a... I don't know if you're more of a pirate or like a... I don't know Randy. either. It's a little bit of whatever you're no, thinking. No, you're very pirate now. Oh, dee, hi, hi, oh, dee, hi, hi. Andy, I gotta say, yeah. you are looking delicious. <laughs> well, Mm-mm-mm. I am wearing a suit made entirely of whipped cream. Mm-mm-mm. You are looking scrumptious. I could take a big old bite out of you. <laughs> I could take a big old oh, bite out of you, Oh, my Andy. goodness. Well, you know, I smell good. I use butter to moisturize my skin. Uh, I sleep on a bed of herbs. I uh, am constantly... <laughs> Dribbling myself in salt uh, and <laughs> condiments like barbecue, uh, mustard, mostarda. Um, I am greasy. I am slimy. I am sticky. I am sweet. Uh, I am the culmination of all of your hunger and desire. <laughs> wow. 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 Bunk fuckers, I mean, is your mouth watering as much as mine? <laughs> Maybe your yeah. nether regions too. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Andy sounds scrumptious. Bunk funkers. I don't know about you. I want to take a big old bite out of him. <laughs> hey, Art. Uh, who are you? Who do you think you are? Uh, the Queen of England? What? Yeah, because IDK. If you knew this or not, IDK. But uh, the Queen of England. Yeah. Goddamn cannibal. The Queen. Not, not about even, the queen. Not even a fine young cannibal. An old fucking cannibal. <laughs> she old as shit. <laughs> Goddamn. Goddamn. Well, how does the queen, I mean, that's the that's the topic of today's episode. How does the queen have such youthful energy? How is she so exuberant in her oh, old we've age? All, we've all seen it. We've all seen her out there strutting around like a 24-year-old. Playing basketball at the celebrity all-star game. Slam dunking on Kevin Hart. Driving Range Rovers off of ramps in a, some sort of a Red Bull type competition. Yeah. The Queen has energy. We know that for a fact. And today's conspiracy, today's topic, which, by the way, comes to us from a bunk funker. A bunk funker. Who submitted this on Instagram, Rose. Rose. Thank you, Rose. Rose. Um, you, you, uh, we did, this was everything but the thorn. I've heard of a kiss from a rose, but a conspiracy from a rose? <laughs> Uh, Rose, uh, this, uh, this topic petaled its way into our hearts, uh, on the little bicycle and thank you for, uh, thank you for sending it in. 
Thank you so much, Rose. And if you bunk funkers just are so damn hungry, you just can't wait to get your your all that conspiracy, that whole enchilada on whether the queen is a cannibal and the history of corpse medicine. Very, very fun <laughs> topic today. Um, uh, and, and you just can't wait to fill your gullet with uh, all that con- that whole enchilada. You can always check out the show notes. There will be a timestamp to when the research begins because first, Andy and I need to talk to you about what's going on in our lives. Two daddies. We're two daddies. Two daddies uh, raising our family. Our undead Sasquatch teenage son. That's right. Peon Musk and our adult baby, David Crosby. That's right. Um, now, well, uh, you know, obviously we've been having a lot of fun. Um, we're family men now. Mm-hmm. Family first. Family that's what's, first. That's what's important to us family now. First. That's our that's our slogan. That's our motto. We wear T-shirts every day that say family first. That's right. And uh, God, God fucking help you if you try to cross our family in any way, mm-hmm. shape or form. Um, and Andy, I can't think of any TV channel or network mm-hmm. on the planet that is more family focused than TLC. <laughs> I mean, TLC literally stands for the loving your family channel. <laughs> loving right. your family is hyphenated, so you don't have to have separate letters. In the I originally thought it meant the long croissant. <laughs> the long croissant but i no, was no, wrong no. different different place that's a bakery in in <laughs> okay. in brooklyn uh and they have delicious croissants 30 feet long this uh tlc is a channel known for family um you know i, I think in the in the 90s it was known for uh uh pappy druid and pappy land I don't, um, I don't know what that is you know it's it's been known for <laughs> All sorts of human interest television. It's family focused. Yeah, family focused. I mean, it's really, I mean, My family, Strange obviously, Addiction, John and Kate plus eight. John and Kate plus eight. That was a family focused show. Nothing bad ever happened to that family. No, that family. Honey Boo Boo? Honey Family Boo-Boo. focused show. Nothing exploitive about that show. The, the beauty it's about of the family. The beauty of TLC is that it showcases these highly functioning families that are role models for the rest of the world. And. That's what I it's it's no it's no wonder to us that TLC approached us and told us we'd like to make a show about your family. That's true. And, and we were hesitant at first, but mm-hmm. then we kind of looked at their clientele and we said, you know what? TLC is never gonna exploit what they what looks like freaks, like total fucking weirdos. And um they're not gonna exploit us in any way, mm-hmm. shape, or form that we have some kind of atypical family. They've never done that before in the past. Yeah. They're very family focused on right. that show. Um, obviously you have um I don't know, that one show. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know that show. They just have a lot of family focused programming programming. And um, it's program room and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just we just knew that they weren't going to exploit us in any way, shape or form. So they approached us. Some producers sent us some some mail to the bunker that said we want to make a show called my 600 pound adult or my 600 pound teenage undead Sasquatch son. Yeah. Um, Which is obviously a show about our lives and how we handle Elon Musk, our teenage undead Sasquatch son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we we know, as Art said, we were very sensitive to the idea that TLC would to the idea that any television network might make a show that would exploit us to be the source of mockery. That's right. For regular people. 
I think the fact that it was TLC reaching out really assuaged those fears yeah. for us. We felt very comfortable. We recognize that we're not the only two daddies who are trying to raise a 600-pound teenage Sas undead Sasquatch son. And we're the is, only members of that Facebook group, but I think more are on the way. Yeah. Well, these things take time to spread. <laughs> People have to share it. Um, but I think I think the real thing is we know we're not the only daddies struggling with this, with raising an undead teenage Sasquatch son. This is a way for us to help other people in a way that we've never been helped, but we don't hold a grudge against humanity because we have to figure everything out ourselves. Right. We accept our roles as pioneers, uh, as light bringers mm -hmm. to the rest of civilization. Uh, you know, Art and I are a little more enlightened, I think, than most people. Yeah, I would say so. We're good parents. Uh, we're good people. <laughs> and I think that everyone could benefit from seeing our lives on TV. <laughs> Plus, they're going to pay us an exposure, which I just think is great. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I mean. I tried to pay my check at Pizza Hut in exposure, <laughs> and I got thrown out. Oh, boy. Well, you had a different definition of exposure. <laughs> you exposed your penis. Um, they, they did tell me they would edit all of the penis shots out of my 600-pound teenage undead Sasquatch son. Well, you know, we walk, we're very free and open in our family. And uh, sometimes, you know, Andy sleeps in the nude. Um, and so sometimes I wake up in the nude. You wake up in the nude and he's going to make breakfast I, for the family. I make breakfast in he's the nude. He's making breakfast nude. It's just going to happen. There's nothing wrong with frying bacon in the nude. There's nothing wrong with. Uh, well, you're also a completely hairless and mm -hmm. uh, polished, shine, marble looking humanoid. <laughs> yeah. I have no hair to catch fire. I am perfectly greasy already so no. it really has no impact on me we did have to sign some legal documents which again you know i'm not here to read legalese i've had enough of legal documents for oh, one boy. lifetime and it was stuff about like you know hereby you will all be referenced to as the total fucking freaks and like all this stuff and i was like blah 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 whatever okay yeah, standard boilerplate this is boilerplate stuff um you know obviously i got a little into it um you know maybe i got a little too I don't know. Maybe I kind of got a little too into myself now that we were going to be this big TV star. The cameras start rolling. Yeah, I started dressing up in like Ed Hardy stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of gelled my hair. I had spiky hair. I would go out late to these clubs. You would kind of, I would come home late. You would be asking me, where have you been? Yeah. Um, I'm just going out to all these clubs, hanging out, you know, kind of living up the uh, TLC star life. Yeah. Um. And and I think it worked out a lot. A lot of people were kind of like, who are you? We don't know what that show is. Eventually, I learned that, yeah, the show hasn't aired yet. So they, um, a lot of people, uh, I guess, didn't recognize me yet, which I kind of learned how the process yeah. of a TV show is different from a podcast. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't record it immediately and release it. It's right. got to go through the whole editing process. Through the editing and process. Um, I mean, it did lead to it did lead to um, <clears throat> a tense a tense encounter between Art and myself on the season finale. That's true. Uh, Art was out clubbing, and it was nearly eight thirty p.m. I'm starting to get worried because that's way past my bedtime. <laughs> so I decide, okay, the boys are in bed. Uh, baby David Crosby is sleeping in his waterbed on his, on his submerged 
in a tank of water, wearing scuba gear as he is to sleep. As is the best way to have a baby sleep. Everyone Babies are this. born in water. They feel more comfortable in water. Yeah. Uh, Peon Musk it has burrowed into uh, his pile of uh, forest trimmings that are in his bedroom. So, you know, I'm getting worried about art. I yeah. don't know what else to do. It's late. So I did the only thing that a daddy can do. I locked all of the doors and windows from the outside so that neither baby David Crosby nor Peon Musk could get out. Yeah. And I went to look at every nightclub in a 50-mile radius to find art. And I found him. Yeah. Uh, at Cheezers After Dark. Yep. The number one number one nightclub. Uh, grilled cheese enthusiasts. Grilled cheese enthusiasts. Which I am. Which art is. Uh, and so I stormed into the club. Cameras rolling. Yeah. I was hot. I mean, yeah, I looked heated. sexy. Yeah. And I stormed into that club. That's right. And I said, stop the music. <laughs> and there was a record scratch and a grilled cheese fell out of somebody's hand onto the floor and it made yeah. a sound. And there I was parting it up with a bunch of other daddies, which made you very jealous. Made me very jealous. I was hanging out with other daddies at Cheezers. I started screaming and breaking things. Yeah. And eventually, to calm me down, Art had to take me outside of Cheezers Nightclub. And, uh, you know, we're Cheezers, Cheezers is like most nightclubs. It's yeah. uh, off the side of a, of a road. Um, it's not, not within the city limits anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's in an unincorporated part of town. Right. Unincorporated part of town. Nothing around. Held in someone's backyard. Right. It's exactly. a nightclub. It's a nightclub. You know how nightclubs work, motherfuckers. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, as I am wont to do, I threw myself down a ravine to prove a point. Uh, I blacked out, um, and then I don't know what happened. Here we are again in the bunker recording studio. Um, I can't wait to see the camera footage. Yeah, I mean, uh, you you got thrown down a ravine. Um, you know, obviously, I I I turned around and said, well, I guess that's over with. I guess, you know, there is Andy again with his hysterics. You know, obviously, I mean, this is nothing new to daddies like us. There's always one hysterical daddy in the group. Um, and, and Andy is wont to do. He's wont to just go for drama. He's going to go for the big thing, like throwing himself down a ravine and then making it all about himself and his injuries and all his broken bones and his lacerations and his... You know, his internal bleeding and his organs and I, all that bullshit. I always ask them to wire my jaw shut so that I can <laughs> only eat through a straw. He just, does. Just to make people feel bad for me. And then, uh, so I decided, you know what, fuck this. I'm going back into cheesers and I'm going to have a good time. Camera's still rolling, um, you know, and I'm just double fisting grilled cheeses left and right. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I'm getting fucking crazy tonight. I'm getting fucking crunk. Daddy's. Daddy's gone wild. Might as well have been. I should have called up Daddy's Gone Wild. I mean, I already got cameras on me. What can I say? I love, I love the spotlight. So I'm double fisting cheesies, and all of a sudden I'm getting real woozy. I think I just had a little bit too much grilled cheese that night, Andy, and I passed out. Woke up here in the bunker. Wow. <clears throat> so many people have probably had that experience at Cheezer's nightclub. Yeah. Too much cheese and they pass out. 
You know, I couldn't help but notice that the cameraman for the TLC show looked very similar to somebody who we know, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I don't know either. He looked I very mean, familiar. Yeah, and it's... What's weird is that normally with these types of shows, you expect there to be a, a production crew. Yeah, like a full crew. And there was just one... Sound guy. One person. There was just a guy with like an old like Kodak from like 2006, and mm -hmm. I thought... I guess cameras are getting a little bit smaller. Yeah, and it was one of those with like the the shotgun mic like attached to the camera. <laughs> so the sound I'm sure is not that great. I'm sure well it was an old like Kodak disposable. Yeah. Which I mean is incredible that, that you could shoot TV footage on a Kodak disposable these days. Yeah. I don't know Techno Camera technology is incredible. I'm no I'm no photographer. I'm no auteur so I don't know uh, yeah. I don't keep up with the technology but right. uh I mean I don't know. This guy just, yeah, he had a very familiar, familiar like air about him. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a weird musky odor that was very triggering for me, but yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. And the sound of him yelling like action cut. That's a wrap. Mm -hmm. Take a five. Craft. Um, you know, craft services. Uh, and stuff like that was like very familiar, very, very strong sense memory there with that guy. But anyway, I too am excited to see the footage. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great. I think we're definitely going to come out looking two very strong daddies. Yeah, we're going to look, we're going to, I mean, for anybody out there who's trying to raise an undead teenage Sasquatch, yeah. you're going to want to watch this because you're doing it wrong and we're doing it right. And I think it's really going to help you to see how two experts in the field of right. raising undead teenage Sasquatch children do it. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, speaking of, uh, speaking of uh, footage that people just can't wait to see in here. <sighs> yeah. We got a bunker alarm to give out to we somebody. Have, we have a very special bunker <laughs> alarm today. Um, we are ringing the bunker alarm today for our newest patron. That's right. On Patreon. Um, this is a bunk bunker who made the decision, made the choice um, to, to give back to the community <laughs> <laughs> by going to patreon.com slash Mr. Bunker pod and be agreeing to become a patron of the show. That's right. Uh, we are so grateful uh, and we hope you will be too for our newest patron. Marisol. Thank you, Marisol. Welcome. Marisol, thank you so much for um, becoming a patron. That's right. Um, in your honor today, what we're going to do is we're going to make use of a very sophisticated piece of technology oh. called the Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000. Yeah. The Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000, of course, allows us to play a perfectly synced alarm sound for you in honor of your patronage of the mm -hmm. show. So, uh, Marisol, for you, I'm going to start uh, looking for yeah. an alarm here. Um, you know, bunk funkers, we've turned up the sound on the uh, on the bunk tech bunker alarm 3000, so you should be able to hear me actually working on it. Oh yeah. Oh jeez. Oh. oh my goodness. Oh, there's so many options. <laughs> different finger motions swipes swoops points clicks slaps you gotta give it a little love you know oh my goodness oh jesus oh here's a good one okay all right marisol uh 
Art and I are going to count down from three. Obviously, with such a high-tech piece of equipment, this is totally unnecessary. It just wastes everybody's time, but Art and I's time is, I mean, worthless, so we don't care. We love to do a countdown. It gets us horny for alarms. So (laughs) without further ado, Marisol, thank you so much. This bunker alarms for you. Three, two, one. Wow. Wow. What an alarm. That wow. was an aggressive one. Yeah, very aggressive. Uh, Marisol, thank you so much for becoming a patron of this show. Uh, Bunkfunkers, if you have the means and the desire, please uh, do what Marisol did. Go to patreon.com at Mr. Bunk or slash Mr. Bunkerpod and uh, become a patron too. Uh, it helps us uh, keep creating great content. And uh, you also get access to Andy and Art Debunked, our exclusive Patreon only uh, show with guaranteed at least one extra episode per month. That's right. That is right. Um, thank you again to Mary Saul. And um, yeah. Uh, you know what, Andy? Uh, thank you again We're to going. Mary Saul. And um, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm famished, Andy, after all this bunker alarm talk and yeah. all this uh, telling about the TLC show. Yeah. Uh, I could really go for a bite. Yeah. I wish there was a place to get some jerked meat around here. You like yeah, yeah, but meats? not just any kind of jerked meat, Andy. You need no. a certain kind of uh, taboo jerk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to jerk a human. <laughs> yeah, we're ready to jerk a couple humans with today's topic for sure, because we are talking about the theory that the royal family, specifically the queen herself, mm-hmm. might be a cannibal, but also filling you in the whole enchilada. On the, on the great metal, heavy metal band corpse medicine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Is that a real... That seems like if that's not a band, I mean, uh, for anybody, Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, for anybody out there listening who is in a metal band right now and is <laughs> thinking about what to call yourselves, consider Corpse Medicine. Yeah, you can have it, and uh, we'll just pay. We'll just ask that you pay us a little bit of royalties. Yeah, fifty percent because our time earnings. Yeah, we came up with the name. Just you know, um, uh, you could just make your name Corpse Medicine presented by Andy and Art. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's very metal. Very presented metal. By. Yeah, corporate sponsorships. Very metal. Yeah. But without further ado, this is, is the queen of cannibal question mark colon the history of corpse medicine here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Yummy. Bunk Funkers. This week's topic is bloody dench. And after Andrew and myself bring you the whole fry up on the topic, you'll be pissed as fuck and knackered. Best not to be too pissed and knackered then, Bunkies. Because there you is having a slash in the loo and you feel a nibble on your arse. What's all this then? You say, turn round, and then Bob's your uncle. There she is, the queen herself, having a nibble of your arse. <laughs> Normally, I'd be cuffed to bits over a cheeky gilf having a nibble on me arse. But a royal? I'm gobsmacked. Absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, as 
ought to codswallop, doesn't it, Nick? Bloody hell. If it was you, Art, I'd say she'd be biting more than she could chew. <laughs> but some believe the queen herself might be enjoy eating human flesh. It's true. So let's dive in, shall we? Hey, get out of here. Oh, oh, oh. You oh fucking get. limey oh, bastard. What's all this get. then? Oh, you cobbled me knobbers. Go on, get. Oh, Go me on, bollocks. Ooh. Oogie doogie. Ugh. Sorry, Bunkfunkers. Our twin cousins from England are visiting, and they decided to try and record a topic themselves. Where do they get off? God. The whole fry-up? What the fuck? It's the damn whole enchilada around here. You fucking limey idiots, get out of here. <laughs> you hear me? Ugh, Bunkfunkers. Our pesky British cousins who are in town visiting from England aside... They actually were right about one thing. Today's topic. Even though I think I and even many UK listeners could probably barely understand them. But today's topic is bloody. It's a crazy conspiracy theory that the queen herself, Queen Elizabeth II of England, is a cannibal. <laughs> Where does such a conspiracy come from? Does the royal family sit down for Sunday supper at Windsor Castle and the butler comes by and places a large silver platter before her does he does he lift the cover to reveal a succulent roasted leg of larry a grilled and seasoned juice oh god don't stop her come on man keep describing food i'm so close oh god andy <sighs> stop it i've had enough of your jerking off to food for one day Before we get any deeper into this cannibal queen theory, we got to look back into history. And Bunkfunkers, today's history lesson might shock you. And I hope you brought your appetites. So let me welcome back to the show, The History Hug. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, feels good to be back, Art. And the history of today's topic really is very morbid, but very fascinating. I think so. It all starts with a substance called bitumen. Bitumen was a bit of a wonder material in the ancient era. This stuff was a black, resin-like, sticky asphalt substance, which was naturally occurring. It has been seen in use all the way back to the 5th millennium BC. It's literally asphalt, and it's a sticky, black, viscous liquid or a semi-hard form of petroleum. You could use it uh, for things like heating or insulation or waterproofing structures. It was a great building material. A uh, beloved ancient race and ancient alien goat, uh, greatest of all time, uh, ancient race, the Sumerians, used that shit on everything, baby. Mortar for bricklaying? It was some bit. Sticking shit on statues? It was some bit. Caulking a ship? Hit it with some bit! <laughs> the ancient Babylonians, too, heated this shit up and used it for mortar. It's great. This was the Frank's Red Hot and Flex Seal of the ancient world. That's a great description of it, really. <laughs> hey, but don't take my word for it. Here's what Pliny the Elder, an ancient Roman historian and creator of the first encyclopedia, had to say. In his work, Natural History, Pliny described bitumen as a bit of a wonder drug, actually. It's not just good for building. It's also a panacea, if you will. Uh, it was said to stop bleeding, heal wounds, drive away snakes, treat leprosy, cataracts, epilepsy, gout, fever... I mean, geez, if you mixed it with soda, it could soothe a toothache. 
Bitumen mixed with wine could calm a cough and help with diarrhea. And a, and a poultice of bitumen and barley flour could draw together severed muscles. Whew. I mean, God damn, you could use it to build. You can use it to cure diarrhea. I mean, I'm sold, Andy. <laughs> I need to get some of this stuff because uh, I'm always shitting bricks when I'm laying bricks. You know what I mean, bro? <laughs> <laughs> too much. Too much so. Yeah. It's disgusting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the ancient Egyptians even used bitumen as well. In fact, some ancient Greek philosophers considered the bitumen harvested from the Dead Sea to be of the highest quality bitumen in the entire world. But the ancient Egyptians used it mainly for their embalming process. You know, mummification. Uh, because as we established, it's a pretty resin-like substance that seems to be great as a natural adhesive or insulant. Now, the thing is, the Persian word for bitumen is mamiya, derived from the word mum, which means wax. An ancient physician named Razes was uh, credited with referring to bitumen, the, the tar substance that occurs naturally in the ground, as mamiya in the 11th century. Now, stay with us, bunk bunkers, because this will all connect soon. Somewhere along the lines, the words began to confuse people. They started to associate the bitumen mamiya with actual mummified bodies. You see, when a body is mummified, it too leaks a black tar-like substance. And you can kind of see where the confusion lies. When we talk about mamiya, are we talking about the bitumen resinous kind or the mummified death tar kind? Razes never really clarified this point in his writings. And when his works were translated in the 12th century by Gerard of Cremona, or Cremona? Cremona. Gerard of Cremona, an Italian translator of ancient texts, Mamia was translated as, quote, the substance found in the lands where bodies are buried with aloes by which the liquid of the dead mixed with the aloes is transformed and it is similar to marine pitch, end quote. Basically what happened was, they confused the bitumen wonder drug mamia for the dead body ooze coming out of mummies. <laughs> now, you'd expect a mistake like this from fucking knuckle dragging clods like Art and I. Yeah, right. Easily. Uh, but not smarty pants philosophers and historians of the ancient times. Uh, well, <laughs> bunk funkers, fools on you. Uh, we're smarter than people were in the 12th century, baby. Yeah. All our haters can fucking shut up. Yeah. <laughs> woo, woo. But it wasn't just Gerard of Cremona. Uh, Constantinus Africanus wrote similar things, and his views were used by Matthias uh, Platerius of Salerno, who wrote that, quote, Mamia is a spice found in the sepulchres of the dead. That is best, which is black, ill-smelling, shiny, and massive, end quote. Which I'm pretty sure is also a porno description. <laughs> Just saying. I mean, no, no, come on. Black, ill-smelling, shiny, and massive. I watched that video. Uh, but these dum-dums were literally out here telling people that the black ooze that comes off of dead bodies was the same as the resinous ooze in the ground. It became widespread misinformation, like a bad game of telephone where you all end up deciding to eat a dead body at the end, and the beginning phrase was like, let's go ride our bikes to church on Sunday. <laughs> all right, you know, fine. We're ragging on these ancient people, but but you got to think about it from their historical context. Very famous, well-respected, and smart writers such as Pliny, Strabo, and Diodorus all wrote about bitumen being used in the mummification process. They were all authoritative figures in their culture. If they said eating the black ooze from a dead mummy was a wonder drug, then it was. Also, have you ever seen a mummy bunk funkers? 
We're not, uh, well, they're not as cool as the Yummy Mummy cereal or the Brendan Fraser-led movie, The Mummy. Yeah. They're usually shriveled, dry, and very dark. Uh, the skin usually becomes as black as natural bitumen. So this further strengthened the idea that all ancient Egyptian mummies were embalmed with bitumen and oozed sweet, sweet panacea bitumen. You know what the cruelest part is, bunkfunkers? Most ancient Egyptian mummies didn't even use bitumen at all in their embalming process. Modern studies concluded that bitumen wasn't used in mummification heavily until the Roman eras. And even then, it was only typically used with poorer people because bitumen was readily available and cheap. Egyptian mummy skin turned black due to other resins and materials used in embalming. But still, this mix-up was ingrained in society. According to the Baghdad physician uh, Abd al-Latif al-Baghdadi, or Baghdadi, Daddies. Baghdadis. Uh, from the 12th century, bitumen was, quote, in the belly and skull of these corpses is also found in great abundance called mummy, end quote. But he added that although the word properly denoted bitumen or, you know, asphalt, quote, the mummy found in the hollows, the mummy found in the hollows of the corpses in Egypt differs, but immaterially from the, na from the nature of mineral mummy. And where any difficulty arises in procuring the latter may be substituted in its stead, end quote. So basically what they're saying is, hey, you can't get your hands on that natural bitumen. The stuff that's coming out of dead bodies is exactly the same, which is wrong. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, natural bitumen is where it's at. But this dead body goo is cool, too. <laughs> that is. But how did it get so ingrained? Well, Aside from writers talking about Mamiya as a wonder drug and people misinterpreting the use cases for natural bitumen, the knowledge of Mamiya as a cure-all drug came to Europe as a result of the Crusades. The European soldiers on crusade are, are over there in the Middle East hearing all about this amazing drug, Mamiya, 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 Mamiya. I mean, so of course Europe had to have it. Ugh. And they had to have all of it. Classic Europe. But... The natural supply of bitumen was pretty limited from the 12th century onward. Thus, this is where people were like, all right, let me get some of that dead body goo. I mean, in their mind, it was the exact same thing as the natural stuff. I mean, Mama Mamiya. <laughs> yeah. Mama, Mama Mamiya. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, people quite literally <laughs> began digging up mummies to ingest them. <laughs> Uh, there are writings detailing walking the streets of Cairo, Egypt, and dead mummies lining the streets for the sole purpose of being sold as mummia. The demand for dead body goo grew and grew. <laughs> Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Dr. Seuss is... Uh, we worked with the estate of Dr. Seuss to uh, write this, uh, this, this script. Um, the demand for dead body goo grew and grew, and the people who used it did too. Yeah, there you go. Uh, European businessmen from the 1400s were rolling into Cairo and buying bodies up by the cartful. They didn't even care about the black bitumen-esque substance anymore. They started selling everything to do with mummies. They would boil the dead bodies and skim the oil that floated to the top and sell it off with outrageous margins. Oh, the business. I mean, this was a monster business. And did we say buying the dead bodies? We meant breaking into tombs and stealing them from their graves. Yeah, they were buying shit. <laughs> Much better than buying. Yeah. Um, hell, sometimes they didn't even bother getting bona fide mummified bodies. The demand was so high that some apothecaries would just find random dead bodies, people who died out in the desert uh, in a sandstorm, and grind those bad boys up and sell them off as real mummia. Mm -mm -mm. 
And this is where the whole, we only ingest mummies, dude. We're not friggin' flesh-eating corpses, chill out thing takes a bit of a turn. Around the 1500s and 1600s, people really got into mummia. Like, high society had to have it. It was described as literally a fucking cheat code for life. It could cure anything. People started to get really desperate, too. They wanted these dead bodies. Here are some recipes and writings from the time. Uh, the German physician Oswald Kroll, uh, who lived from 1563 to 1609, so a nice long life yeah. thanks to mummy, uh, <laughs> said mummia was, quote, not the liquid matter which is found in the Egyptian sepulchers, end quote, but rather, quote, the flesh of a man that perishes a violent death and kept for some time in the air, end quote. And then Kroll gave a detailed recipe for making tincture of mummia from the corpse of a young red-haired man who had been hanged, bludgeoned on the breaking wheel, exposed to the air for days, then cut into small pieces, sprinkled with powdered myrrh and aloes, soaked in wine, and dried. Mm, delicious. I mean, it's a lot of work, but I think you find it's pretty worth it yeah. uh, for the end product. Um, of literally eating a dead body. Yeah, it's like making pastrami. I mean, it's a <laughs> lot of, it takes, it takes some time and some effort, but it's worth it in the end. Yeah. One recipe promoted by German physician Johann Schroeder, uh, Schro Schroeder, Schroeder? Yeah, that's Schroeder. Johann Schroeder. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. In his 17th century medical tome, uh, oh, Jesus, Pharmacopoeia Medico Chimia? Chimica? Whatever. Is blatant about the use cases of certain bodies over others in mummy making. Quote, take the fresh, unspotted cadaver of a red-headed man because in them the blood is thinner and the flesh hence more excellent. Aged about 24, who has been executed and died a violent death. Let the corpse lie one day and night in the sun and moon, but the weather must be good. Cut the flesh in pieces and sprinkle it with myrrh and just a little aloe. Then soak it in spirits of wine for several days. Hang it up for six or ten hours. Soak it again in the spirits of wine. And then let the pieces dry in dry air in a shady spot. Thus, they will be similar to smoked meat, and it will not stink. End quote. I mean, I guess South Park was only half right. Yeah. Gingers don't have souls, but goddamn, do they have medicinal properties. Ooh, yeah. I mean, what this goes to show is just people were going crazy for Mamiya, and they were they were heightening it. They weren't just saying, okay, give me these Egyptian dead bodies. Now they're starting to say, give us dead bodies. Anybody. Anybody. False Mamiya started to make its way into the market as well. People were selling anybody and everybody. People who died of diseases like leprosy, I mean, they were selling off slave bodies, criminals sentenced to death, half-ratting corpses, all sold as Mamiya to meet this demand. But then the Enlightenment happened, and all these hoity-toity know-it-all philosophers realized that eating people might not just be morally wrong, but unhealthy as well. Ugh, God, fucking philosopher eggheads, shut up. Let me eat a dead body, yeah, god damn. I know. I'm just trying to have some damn fun. Jesus. Sip it. Snort a little corpse and go party with my Victorian friends. People just want to have a good time and you get these fucking eggheads over here just trying to shit all over everything. Fuck, god. it pisses me off. Ren Renaissance scholars and physicians started to be like, hey man, maybe eating dead bodies is wrong and stuff around the 16th century. French naturalist Pierre Bellon uh, was one of the earliest to conclude that the word mamia was uh, actually incorrectly translated and confused with the bitumen mamia. Uh, English herbalist John Gerard uh, had a 1597 text called Herbal, 
and actually described how the ancient Egyptians didn't even use bitumen in their evolving process. They used cedar pitch. He also explained that what they falsely called mamiya should be uh, piss asphaltin, a.k.a. bitumen, and not dead bodies. We shouldn't be eating dead bodies. We should be eating asphalt. <laughs> yeah. Go outside and eat a piece of the road. That's your cure-all. Barber surgeon Ambrose Paré um, even called out and revealed the manufacture of fake Mamiya in France, uh, straight up telling everyone how apothecaries would just steal bodies of dead criminals, dry them in an oven, and then sell their flesh as Mamiya. These, this badass barber surgeon even called out the Christians, who, quote, so dainty mouth could eat the bodies of the dead, end quote. Ooh, god damn. God damn. Leave it to a barber surgeon to hack and slash a sick burn like that. Fucking That's barber fucking surgeons. cool. I mean... Is there a cooler fucking person than no. a barber surgeon? Go in, cut your hair, and trim up the fade, and also cut off a little bit of my gallbladder. Yeah, I love it. Just a little bit. Give me a trim on the old gallbladder. Yeah, give me like a two and a half on the gallbladder, and then I don't know, inch, inch and a half off my spleen. Might have to use the scissors on the spleen. I don't know. <laughs> um, Pere actually uh, administered Mamiya a bunch, but eventually came to despise the drug and stopped prescribing after he claimed, quote, this wicked kind of drug doth nothing help the diseased. This wicked kind of drug doth nothing help the diseased. Yeah, it was, it's old English, so. Uh, <laughs> Juan this, de April. This the sh- wicked, yeah, Juan in the switch April. <laughs> A little Chaucer, a little for Chaucer, all you literary bunk funkers, little chaser of Chaucer. We've gone a wandering on pilgrimage. <laughs> uh, as cool as a, a barber surgeon is, uh, they couldn't ruin the entire bo- dead body feast. Mamiya was just too damn ingrained in society by the 16th century. Hell, even old Billy Shakespeare wrote about it. You guys remember him? Bill Shakespeare yeah. did a show on him. That's right. Uh, physicist Robert Boyle praised it as, quote, one of the useful medicine co- medicines commended and given by our physicians for falls and bruises and in other cases, too, end quote. Dutch, phys- Dutch physician Stephen Blankert's 1754 lexicon medicum renovatum even listed four types of mummia. God damn. Was mummia the original LaCroix? Uh, I'll have one pomplamoose, one cranberry lime, and one dried corpse embalmed with asphalt. Wow. Each one more disgusting one. than the next. I would Fuck have gone sparkling in, water. I would have gone in reverse order. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll go in order of most appealing. One dried corpse embalmed with asphalt, cranberry lime, and one pomplamoose. <laughs> I mean... Bunkfunkers, we've kind of already described it, but it wasn't long after the popularity of Mamiya gave way to corpse medicine, full-blown corpse medicine. Mamiya was just the catalyst for a morbid and often overlooked portion of history, the history of corpse medicine. Like we say, it's exactly how it sounds, Bunkfunkers. Corpse medicine was the early medicinal and cosmetic practice of consuming or using parts of dead bodies. And boy, was it popular. (laughs) Everyone, royalty, priests, scientists, from high to low society, routinely ingested remedies containing human bones, organs, flesh, blood, and fat as medicine. Very few people at all opposed the practice, which is ironic considering how much of high society in Europe looked down upon cannibalism as a sign of savagery. Which I think, actually, if I'm not wrong, Andy, was also a line from that Alanis Morissette song. Mm -hmm. It's like eating a corpse! When you call cannibalism a savage trait, it's like snorting human bones in an attempt to turn fate. Who would have thought it figures? 
Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that was if those were the lyrics, Art. But um, you obviously did the research, so you yeah. you you ought to know. Well, I know Alanis Morissette personally. We're good friends. So anyway, uh, Boy. so thank Boy. And you. Let me tell you, this corpse medicine. These were some jagged little pills to swallow. Let me tell you what. <laughs> yeah, literally like little teeth and bones. <laughs> yeah, and shit. yeah, bone fragments in them. <laughs> so let's dive into corpse medicine. We're going to give you all some some of the most famous remedies and and, and recipes because honestly, Mamiya is to corpse medicine as getting a little contact high at an outdoor concert is to using a dirty needle to get high off bathtub heroin. We've all been there. You've been on the, as you saw that on the SAT. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That was one of my favorite analogies in the SAT. Yeah. Uh, so bunk funkers, here's some fun remedies and recipes uh, of corpse medicines. Uh, are you suffering from excessive bleeding? Rub some moss that was found growing all over a human skull on it. Bam. Corpse medicine. Actually, um, Skulls are a big one in corpse yeah. medicine. Crushed up skulls were believed to cure epilepsy, bouts of bleeding, and even stop death. Uh, you could combine fingernails, skull, mistletoe, and peony root to also stop epilepsy as well. Uh, Thomas Willis, a 17th century pioneer of brain science, believed that a drink of hot chocolate and powdered human skull could help with apoplexy or bleeding. In the UK, the Irish uh, were a common source of skulls to be used for powders and salves. And uh, that fact definitely won't ruffle any feathers. Nope. Um, yeah. That'd I mean, hard Irish to believe, were preyed upon for their skulls. Yeah. Hard to believe that people in the UK would literally steal the skulls of dead Irish and use them as medicine. Um, well, I guess the good news is, is that they had plenty of Irish skulls to make use of because they couldn't stop killing the Irish. Um, getting old, developing cataracts. Why not take some literal dried human shit, grind it into a powder and blow it into your eyes. Bam. Corpse medicine. <laughs> Do you all remember that episode of Emerald Live? Yeah. yeah. He, blew, he blew dried human he shit took, into the he audience. Took, he took a shit into a, uh, into a dehydrator, dehydrated the shit, and then <laughs> blew it into the eyes of everybody at those little tables. <laughs> uh, but hey, these are pretty simple recipes. Why not get fancy? Infuse water with lily, lavender, momsy, and three pounds of human brain for a whole host of cures. Bam! Corpse medicine. <laughs> now, apart from human skulls, people were also pretty obsessed with human fat. <laughs> uh, as an ointment of human fat and cinnabar was said to cure people of rabies. 18th century French pharmacist Comte Antoine Francois de Foucault uh, detailed a whole process for cutting human fat into pieces, separating the membranes and vessels, washing it, allowing it to melt into an oil and then re-solidify in a glazed earthen vessel. And I mean, you could use that human fat recipe for a whole bunch of cures. Epilepsy comes up a lot. Like epilepsy must, it's very interesting that epilepsy must have been like a massive problem. Yeah. It seriously uh, seems like, or, or people just felt like dead bodies were the best cure for epilepsy. Yeah, they didn't know what else to dead do. Dead bodies seem to be the, like that seems to be the number one cure promoted by these old timey doctors for <laughs> yeah. epilepsy. Uh, German doctors, doctors argued that fat from the deceased could be used to help with gout. Uh, by rubbing bandages of the fat and wrapping them around the affected areas, for example. Human fat applied directly to the forehead. <laughs> you would have gout in your forehead. Oh, but... man, I love those commercials. Yeah, at four in the morning. Human, Human fat, fat applied, applied directly, directly to, to the, the forehead. forehead. Human fat applied <laughs> directly to the forehead. A belief that a magical candle made from human fat called a thieves candle could stupefy and paralyze a person lasted well into the 1880s. Uh, here's a fun one. Coffin water. <laughs> mm, literally water used to wash a dead body 
and placed into a coffin could be used to clear up warts or the fits. Oh, yeah. Um, and hey, you know, Andy and I love a good dried fruit. Mm -mm -mm. How about some dried human organs? Oh, yeah. A dried heart could cure epilepsy. <laughs> there it is. Epilepsy again. Yeah. Skulls didn't do the trick. Try a dried human heart. You know, just keep eating parts of the body until you don't have epilepsy anymore. Yeah. The skin from a mummy could help stop bleeding and restore the flesh. Dried gallbladder powdered and mixed with wine could help with deafness. Now, here's a recipe that I'm really interested in and have been DMing America's Test Kitchen repeatedly on social media for them to cover this. Yeah. A recipe for curing hemorrhoids by touching the sore areas with a severed human hand. <laughs> I got to get my living hands on that dead hand recipe. No response from them, huh? They did, and they blocked you, too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I started reaching out to Bridget and Julia and Jack Bishop uh, on their own personal social media, and they blocked me as well. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have really to start, want that recipe. Gonna have to start, you know, pestering Morgan Bowling and Brian Roof on their uh, social media now. Um, but what about brain food, huh? Uh -huh. Gotta have brain food. Well, John French, an English physician and alchemist, had a recipe called the brain tincture he published in 1651. Step one, take the brains of a young man that died a violent death along with membranes, arteries, veins, nerves, and the pith of the back. Two, mash it up in a mortar and pestle. Three, cover the brain paste in spirits or wine. Does that mean uh, alcohol or ghosts? <laughs> um, number four, leave it to ferment in horse shit. <laughs> I really think uh, go ferment in horse shit should come back as a well-known insult. I think it should. <laughs> go ferment in horse shit. Ah, go ferment yourself in horse shit. Yeah, that's Idiot. a good one. Now, a lot of what we wrote or read to you, I guess, is uh, <laughs> might seem weird and macabre and maybe even a little tame in some senses, right? But this shit was, was real to these people, and they believed it was their only hope out of their miserable, shitty, disease-ridden lives. I mean, there are accounts from public executions of the 16th century where onlookers would run up on stage right after the deceased's head was chopped off and they would fucking drink the warm blood straight from the veins in his neck. Whew. That's metal. Yeah. Now, Corpse medicine. Corpse medicine. Presented by Indian oh. Art. Uh, presented by Indian Art. The poor, you know, uh, who couldn't always afford these crazy processed compounds sold in apothecary shops could gain the benefits of cannibal medicine by standing by executions and then with with literally paying for a small amount for a cup of the still warm blood of the condemned. Blood was a big deal, too. Not just uh, skulls, fat, and some of the organs, but blood was big. In fact, the 16th century German-Swiss physician uh, Paracelsus uh, believed blood was good for drinking, and one of his followers even suggested taking blood from a living body. Now, okay. Blood from a living body? Maybe that was a little too much. No, 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 no. I'll ingest a corpse's blood, but I'm not going to ingest it from a living person. <laughs> no, no, no. No. No, no. I don't want to take blood from somebody who consents to allowing me to take their blood. No, no, no. No, no, no. I would much rather wait until that person is dead and has no agency and then steal their blood. That's right. Now, according to Richard Sugg, uh, author of Mummies, Cannibals, and Vampires, The History of Corpse Medicine from the Renaissance to the Victorians, really is the, like... The, the text to get if you're interested in corpse medicine. Yeah, the authoritative book. Yes. Quote, the executioner was considered a big healer in Germanic countries. He was a social leper with almost magical powers, end quote. You know, the executioner was the one who would be like divvying out the, the blood and giving it out to the poor, and it's wild. Yeah. But what if you aren't into the whole raw diet, you know? Well, no worries. 
There's a lovely 1679 recipe from a Franciscan apothecary, which describes turning human blood into a delicious marmalade. Mm, so good on toast. Uh, <clears throat> now, bunkfuckers, these recipes are fun and all, but why did people during this time period suddenly start ingesting corpse medicine? A bulk of this belief uh, comes from the homeopathic idea that like cures like. Uh, you might remember us talking about homeopaths on uh, our medical goop cancer yeah. cure episode. Right. Um, so talking about Paracelsus again, uh, again, a 16th century Swiss physician and uh, sometimes referred to as the father of toxicology, yeah. uh, believed that to cure an ailment, you needed to treat it with something similar. And many of the corpse medicine using doctors followed this lead. Got a headache? Well, cure it with something similar. How about human skull fragments? Got a toothache? Use a corpse's tooth to heal it, etc. and so forth there. You get the idea. Uh, another reason humans were uh, jonesing to take a chomp out of some dead bodies was because human remains were thought to contain the spirit of the body from which they were taken. The spirit was a very real part of human physiology, and it linked body and soul. Blood was especially powerful in this belief because human blood was thought to carry the soul and did so in the form of vaporous spirits. The fresher the blood, the better. Sometimes the blood of young men was preferred, sometimes that of virginal young women. By ingesting corpse materials, one gains the strength of the person consumed. You know, here's the thing, bunk funkers. Drinking human blood ain't nothing new. Ancient Romans would drink the blood of slain gladiators because they believed it imbued them with the gladiator's spirit and strength. Even Leonardo da Vinci said, quote, We preserve our life with the death of others. In a dead thing, insensate life remains, which, when it is reunited with the stomachs of the living regains sensitive and intellectual life, end quote. But that was ancient Rome. This is the 16th and 17th century. Shouldn't they know better by now? Furthermore, the high society of the time were total hypocrites. Oh my God, such snobs about it. <laughs> Here they were ingesting blood and bone fragments, and then they would look at cannibalistic practices in the new world and scoff. Well, I say, at least we're not like those savages. Now, Jeeves, please, another helping of dead man's dick and balls for the table. Hey, if I didn't know any better, that sounded like Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, wow. Then what a good guest for this show. <laughs> Maybe our uh, twin cousins from the UK brought right, over. They were traveling with him. Hello. Ancestral home. <laughs> now, the difference between European corpse medicine and New World cannibalism is actually... Kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Most of the Western cannibal practice is deeply social, with the relationship between the eaten and the eater being highly significant. Uh, you know, you would you, when your when your relatives died or your 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 kin died, you would eat them to consume their spirit, and it was very ceremonial. But with Europeans, none of that shit mattered. Human body parts are just body parts, baby. They're just matter, like any other herb or oil or whatever commodity. And this relationship with the Eaton issue uh, is likely what gave to, into the hypocrisy behind corpse medicine. They thought that's fucked up. Eat somebody you know? That's gross. I'll go eat some other dude's body parts. I don't care. Yeah. You know, the Protestant Christians were famous for their anti-cannibalism stance, famously saying that the Catholic idea of the Eucharist, which is, you know, if you're the uninitiated, the idea that the bread wine ingested during Holy Communion is believed to actually be the body and blood of Christ, literally. That was totally fucked up, you know, and they hated it. And it was fiercely debated. But, I mean, 
when it comes to getting some medical treatment, I mean, suddenly, well, that's a gray area. This is very <laughs> silent, you know, silent. In fact, Edward Taylor, a Puritan physician who practiced corpse medicine in New England for over 40 years, was one of many religious physicians who promoted the use of dead bodies as cure. I know I said you can't have some, but could I please have some dead bodies, please? Daddies? <laughs> the Puritans, they put their two widow Puritan fingers together and said, For me. <laughs> and uh, to tie all this back into old Queenie E, number two, the deuce. Uh, <laughs> here are some famous royals who practice corpse medicine. King Charles II of England sipped the king's drops, his personal tincture containing human skull and alcohol. In fact, on his deathbed, Charles II's doctors frantically used these drops along with a barrage of herbal enemas. I mean, the only thing I want to be barraged by. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all kinds of other treatments to no avail. Queen Mary II was also a fan of the king's drops. Queen Elizabeth I was known for rubbing human fat on her skin to treat her smallpox scars. So some royals throughout history enjoyed corpse medicine. Obviously, many of the nobility and common folk did too. But this all died out, pun for sure intended, uh, around the 1800s. However, you could still buy Mamiya, real deal Mamiya, in a German apothecary shop up until the 1920s. Boy, could you, Art. I was just a youngster then. Times were tough. We watched the French and Belgian troops march through the Ruhr. We saw rebellions outside our school windows. We saw our fathers find no work in the fatherland. But as soon as that cuckoo clock stuck 3 p.m., us kitties would let out a squeal and race down to the local apothecary, Willy Wonka's corpse factory, and spend any marks we could scrounge up on delicious mamiya. Oh, I feel my little Tommy with the mamiya. Willy Wonka, my favorite apothecary. Oh, fill me up with your mamiya. Oh, I smell it cooking in the back. Oh, skim off the top of that body boiling in that copper cauldron. Oh, I love the fresh mamiya. You know what? I don't I don't get your timeline. You're you're an ageless wonder, Andy, but you eating dead bodies as a child makes a lot of sense, actually. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel like Wolfgang Park anytime I talk about the Mamiya from Willy Wonka's. Oh Willy, they could never Willy Wonka's corpse factory. Willy Wonka's corpse factory. Willy Wonka's. They could never they could never recreate it here in the United States. Oh, it's so yummy. Delicious Mamiya. Oh my Mamiya. <laughs> But would it make sense for the queen to eat dead bodies just like you did, Andy? You know, we were alive at the same time. <laughs> That's true. Her family is German. They've probably been to Willy Wonka's corpse factory. In this day and age, Andy, though. Oh, sure. Just who would go and disparage the royal family like this and make such a claim? Who would do such a thing, Andy? <laughs> who could do this? Well, enter one Hubert Humdinger which is pronounced humdinger, even though it's spelled humdinger. A quirky name for a quirky fellow who led a not-so-quirky life. Humdinger was allegedly a philosopher who wrote 367 books uh, on cultural phenomena, that one every day of the year, and then yeah. a little more, on cultural phenomenon and disinformation <laughs> in psychology, science, politics, sociology, all the big ologies. Whoa, 367 books? Yeah. I bet this guy has a whole stack dedicated to him at your local library. You would think. I mean, he's got to have an entire wing. Uh, but they don't. Uh, you can't find a single Humdinger relic because in 1971, 
They destroyed all his works. Mm-mm. The State Department said the First Amendment did not apply to ideas as frighteningly clear and creative as Humdinger's. Freedom of speech did not protect connecting so many universal truths in such precise ways, just as certain simple chemicals shouldn't be stored right beside each other for risk of combustion. But don't take our word for it. Here's what an unnamed government spokesman said in a 1971 press conference. Quote, the alignment of unorthodox ideas into grand unity provide, we believe, an unhealthy access to mental and spiritual power that resides in each human, but isn't meant to be awakened all at once. Words can and do light fires in the minds of men, and it seems Humdinger strives to not only start the fires, but pour gasoline onto them and blow them into whirlwinds of uncontrollable fire. End quote. <laughs> Someone call Ray Bradbury because he's going to be pissed. And then... <laughs> Someone called Billy Joel because we found out who started the fire. <laughs> yeah, we fucking know. It's Herbert Humdinger. <laughs> or Hubert. Hubert. Hubert Humdinger. Hubert. Yeah. it's uh, Hubert? Is it Hubert? I don't know. It's Hubert or Humdert. Uh, Hubert, Humd- Hubert or Hubert Humdinger. Yeah. I think I'm going to call him Hubert. Yeah, Hubert. But who was that unnamed government spokesperson, Andy? Well, we don't know. That's why they're unnamed. <sighs> you idiots. <laughs> so certainly after this Stop 451 us. event... Humdinger fled to an undisclosed location in Northern Europe where he persists to live. (laughs) However, he does occasionally sneak back into the USA. And this is where he met the author, Adam uh, Lubke, of Dear Dirty America, which is like a political and cultural blog website. Mm -hmm. And he met him outside of a 7-Eleven in Wyoming in 1989. Naturally. Yeah. Where everybody meets. There he told uh, Lubke some outrageous stuff over the years, including that the Queen of England was, quote, violently vibrant and, quote, packed with more energy than the sun, end quote, and that, quote, she must eat human flesh, end quote, to remain so energetic in her old age. Humdinger wrote this entire theory out in We Royalty magazine. But what's the story, Andy and Art? Where's the beef on this whole enchilada? Why did you tell me all this history? Well, here it is, you hungry bunk funkers. Put your napkins around your collars and get ready to dig in. A serviceman was called to Windsor Castle to investigate possible quote-unquote electrical problems in the castle's east side kitchen area. The serviceman was accompanied by three pre-cleared English constables, and he poked around the kitchen and eventually found a nest of faulty wiring behind the old refrigerator. The serviceman needed to call the rest of his team to handle this job, but he needed to get them cleared for entrance first. Before he left, he made one last check in the Queen's private freezer to see if it was chilled enough and how and uh, if it was getting enough uh, electricity to turn on when the fridge was on the fritz. What he saw froze him in his place. Strips of flayed meat stretched out like bacon and carefully packaged in a see-through wrap. Frozen forearms, a hunk of a human leg, a piece of a male chest, and, quote, a few other parts they'd rather not describe, end quote, which is clearly a dick and or balls. You can't fool us. We spotted dick. <laughs> spotted dick. Spotted dick. Love it. We spotted it. Uh, well, the serviceman was shocked and went to grab the constables who were all uh, chilling in the living room and uh, scratching each other's backs. Yeah. Which, uh, by the way, uh, the living room is adorned by reptile heads and a portrait of Richard III fighting a dog. Uh, And so the constables helped pick through the parts, quote, like taking a peek at her damned undies, one of them said. Woof. 
All that meat is going to melt from how steamy this is getting. Oh, 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 oh baby. Oh, man. Oh, baby. Granny panties. Granny panties. Um, mm. Normally, the constables would take DNA samples, check a missing persons list, detain a suspect with clear evidence in her freezer. But constables were hesitant. This was the queen, after all. I mean, she's got special privileges. Oh, yeah, she could. The queen probably <laughs> acquired these parts through legal queen channels. <laughs> And Humdinger's story ends there. But the dissection of the Queen of England as a cannibal doesn't. According to an English carpenter named John Bellows from a, quote, lost interview in 2001, the Queen is, quote, really bloody crazy, end quote. <laughs> Bellows was doing some work on Windsor Castle in the early 90s and describes hearing, quote, manic shouts and jolly loud animal screams, end quote. God, what the fuck is the Queen doing? I don't know. It sounds like my house. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just Peon Musk. Yeah, that's true. Bellows also described the queen's apparently sharpened, jagged teeth. He ruminated over what exactly she used those pointy choppers for and compared her to Queequeg, the cannibal harpoonist from the Moby Dick. Bellows said all this well before the Humdinger expose on the queen's human flesh locker, which, boy, I love getting my, my, my kicks at flesh, flesh locker. locker. <laughs> yeah or you could just go to Foot Locker and get a couple of feet but yeah no I, I want just... I want clothes for the whole body right. so I go to Flush Locker but he never got to read it because Bellows mysteriously disappeared in a supposed boating accident his body was never found Humdinger always knew this to be true he explained the Queen's habit of eating people quote it's not about nutrition or vitamins and minerals eating humans is about power and glory it's a spiritual boon but it's twisted and should be forbidden, end quote. Humdinger concludes uh, on an interesting question. Should the ingestion of human remains be forbidden? Human organs and blood can be transplanted from one person to another and is a medically viable process today. And no one, well, maybe except Jehovah's Witnesses, have an issue with it. <laughs> Grafts of skin and tissue can be taken from corpses and used to generate new tissue in living humans as well. That's all well and dandy, but there still exists a very real and very sinister black market for the trading of human organs and body parts. Perhaps the morality of cannibalism is more nuanced than we think. Or maybe I'm just really friggin' hungry right now. <laughs> well, I got a question, and many skeptics do as well. Who the fuck is this Humdinger guy anyway? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, it's a good question. He doesn't exist. Oh. <laughs> if you Google him... The only things that come up are other conspiracy websites that all talk about his conspiracy or talk about him. And it seems to all originate from the website slash blog, Dear Dirty America, which is a quasi satirical blog. Apparently, they published a book, Dear Dirty America did, all about Humdinger titled Hubert Humdinger, Exiled and Loving It, Collected Insights from a Nearly Forgotten Cultural Philosopher. And we hear it's a real Humdinger. <laughs> Okay, we're having fun. We're having fun. <laughs> Is that art over there? Is that Henny Youngman? <laughs> so is the queen still reliving the corpse medicine of the past? Does she dine on delicious roasted human flesh? And is Hubert Humdinger real? Well, although this topic may have tempted you to go out and find some real-life mamiya or take a bite out of a hunk of human flesh... We urge all you bunkfunkers to quell the hunger deep inside your mind tummies and know that the real medicine is only found by ingesting the whole enchilada. Mm -hmm.
Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Ooh, it sure is chilly outside, Art. Andy, where's your jacket? Art, did you hear me? The wind chill is 30 below. Andy, I think you have hypothermia. You know, Art, with the horrific chilly weather outside, the only thing that'll warm me up is listening to Andy and Art debunked. Available only on patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. Are you seriously shilling our Patreon right now? Oh, Art. Laughing at the antics of Andy and Art is all the warmth I need. And for just $5 a month, I get access to all the episodes of the show, behind-the-scenes updates, sneak peeks at episodes, and I can chat with Andy and Art on the Bunker Discord. Andy, we need to get you to a hospital. We need to get me to patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. So chilly. Oh, God. I'm shilled to the bone. Hey, welcome back, Bunk Funkers. That was our research of Is the Queen a Cannibal and Corpse Medicine. Wow, what a topic, huh? What a topic. Andy, you ever heard about this throughout history? You're a history buff. Um, Yeah, I do like history. I am very buff. I honestly have, I guess not in this to this level of detail. Like, I didn't realize how widespread corpse medicine is. Um, I guess I always kind of considered it to be sort of a, I guess, niche part of med- medicinal history but obviously the research for this for this episode shows was kind of widespread a little bit i mean i feel like we should have been alive in the 1600s because god damn would it have been easy to be considered like a really good physician yeah yeah just eat another person you just make shit up it's like uh what's yeah. wrong with you my arm hurts oh i know i got an arm in the back you can eat it then you'll be fine <laughs> like people are like dude this guy's a freaking genius my arm hurts, so he gave me an arm. It doesn't feel any better, but I it was an arm. He and did do it. The thing that I love is that half this shit is soaked, dripping, soaked in alcohol. Yeah. To the point where it's like, you're just getting drunk. <laughs> the people people are let's you know, that was one point that was made about the king's drops is that <laughs> yeah, it probably did work because it probably helped relieve pain because yeah. you get drunk from drinking yeah. the alcohol. It has nothing to do with the skull. <laughs> or people who have minor ailments that are probably going to recover anyway. Yeah. 
they probably experience a placebo. Even maybe people with more severe stuff, they might feel a little bit better because they're experiencing placebo. I think history's shown us anything. Even modern medical technology shows us that placebo can be very powerful effect. A lot of these remedies just feel like jokes a sarcastic doctor is making. Like he's like, oh, he's like, oh, you know, somebody comes in, they're like, oh, oh, doc, my eyes don't see so good no more. And he's like, ah, I go bullshitting them, dirtbag. Gee, <laughs> doc, okay. I, All right, you I guys don't call me a dirtbag, but uh, thanks. Yeah, I guess so. Go blow shit in your eyes, dirtbag. Hey, hey, why did you Why did you dry out a turd and blow that in your eyes, you fucking dummy? Uh, okay. Jeez, uh, guess I never thought about it that way. Stop coming to this doctor. Guess I never thought about it that way, then, doc. All right. <laughs> Come on, all right. Thanks for the advice, there, doc. Um, uh, I will go blow shit in my eyes now. You know. This to... is this is such a metal fucking topic. <laughs> Think about this. Think about this. You're some king, Andy, from the 13th century. Oh, I frequently dream about being deathbed. a 13th century king. You're a 13th century king. You're on your deathbed. You're in excruciating pain because yeah. there's no morphine. There's yeah. none of that shit. You've lived a haggard, depressing, violent, and painful life, Andy. You're 30 years old. Yeah, I'm the exact same age I am now. Very similar to your life now. Without modern technology, Without I modern would be governments. on my deathbed now. And now in a last ditch effort to save your life, they fucking shove alcohol chased with human blood up your ass. I mean, I would, <laughs> just, I would just have to raise the question at that point is why weren't we doing this sooner? Why were we waiting until I'm on my deathbed to shove liquor up my ass? <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum is me. I'm yeah. a peasant riddled with diseases, and my life is a cacophony of brutality. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's my metal band. Cacophony of brutality? That's trademarked by me. And your only hope, the only thing that can save me is to watch another human be executed brutally. Like, like in a way that I don't think we can fathom. And then I rush up, and I drink blood from his fucking severed neck. Yeah. Yeah, this is feudalism for you. Surfing is the only oh, life, the fuck. only way for you now, surf. I mean, it really surf. kind of brings into the perspective the brutality of this time period. Like, not only are, is everybody disease-ridden, but also it's like, my only hope in life is that either the king will touch me, because the king is seen as a as a adversary of God, literally. Yeah. I think the queen is supposed to be the bride of God right. as well. And um, so the king is... is a god, a little god whose who's touch can cure you, but then, like, there's just this, like, general idea where if I drink a violently executed man's blood, I'll be okay. That's just fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of wild to think about an executioner being somehow elevated in society because they can dispense basically being a pharmacist. <laughs> Essentially, this is like your 16th century pharmacist is yeah. the local executioner who is like, you know, hey, All right, this, well, you got any questions about this? Still warm blood? Just give us a call. Let you know. Take one in the morning. Have a drink. Have, drink a cup right now, and then I guess whatever. Yeah, you know, drink, drink one right now. Still warm. Straight from his severed fucking neck. And then have one in the evening. <laughs> now, do take it with food. You will get it on tummy. <laughs> or, carry on. Or, or, this giant fucking axe. Move, on. Along, move along then. 
Nothing to see here. Nothing to see. Um, it's very that's very interesting to me. Although, I have to be honest, some of these things are are almost not so far away that it seems so foreign. I have a friend who is from Poland. Okay. And told me about an execution that she attended. Uh, no, that in, <laughs> that in Poland there is still some people who who believe in the like health benefits of gopher fat. Hmm. So it's like it's that same thing where you might make a candle out of gopher fat. Oak medicine. But it's, you know, obviously with modern laws and stuff, it's it's very it's kind of like a black market item. Like you're not, you know, you're not supposed to like sell. Move over Yankee gopher, candle. <laughs> yeah. Go for fat as a, as a medical remedy. But it's like one of those things you can make it into a candle or you can make it into like a cream and like rub it on parts that are, you know, like if you have a oh. rash or something or if you're trying to masturbate. <laughs> you're a teenager trying to masturbate. You got to lube up a little gopher fat. Yeah. You don't want to, don't want to get chafed. Um, well, it's an interesting discussion about modern medical practices and and this sort of corpse medicine. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I guess I guess here's the thing: it's it's, it's a stupid argument to have because in the modern day we have consent. You That's consent to give your organs away. You consent to be used for whatever. You donate your blood. You don't. They you don't. Donate they it. don't take your blood from you after you're executed. Right. There's no. There's no more incentive for governments to continue executing people for their their body parts right uh you know like you have to you have to agree to be an organ donor but people might look at this corpse medicine and be like oh god that's so fucking gross but it's like it's they they weren't that far off they just they just didn't it wasn't a sterile environment and they weren't doing it the right way yeah because putting new blood into you is actually very Human blood is one of the biggest. Yeah, being able to actually use human blood in medicine is one of the biggest. It's a lifesaver, literally. Yeah, blood. I mean, there's blood transfusions. People people yeah. can replenish blood if they're having long surgery. Literally, will renew you. You will feel energetic and new and and good when you get a blood transfusion. Yeah, yeah. Like you feel full of energy. It's incredible. Yeah, my my grandfather had lymphoma. That's yeah. that's cancer of the blood. Lots of blood transfusions toward the end of his life. That was like the only way to get a jolt of energy in some ways was to have a blood transfusion. Yeah. So, I mean, using human blood, it you're right. It's not far off, but yeah, the big difference is that the people that, the blood that they use in a blood transfusion is given by willing donors. Right. Not, <laughs> not taken directly from the... You're Somebody whose head was chopped off. Digging up corpses, though, and desecrating graves of people who right. have been slain and fallen. Well, plus, that's the thing. If you want blood, you have to get a fresh body. Yeah. Because the blood's not going to stay there forever. So if you're digging up an ancient corpse, you're doing much different things with that than you are with fresh blood. It's interesting. I had a gum graph a couple of years ago, and that's where they um, my gum, one of my gums had receded to the point where the tooth root is showing. Yeah, And so they need to lengthen the gum. And the only way you can really do that is there's three ways. You can take a graph of the roof of your mouth, which apparently is the same tissue as a is your gums, your front gum tissue. Um, you can take a graph of gum from an animal or you can get gum tissue from a corpse. 
and put that in your fucking mouth. And it's kind of like, obviously, with the last last two, there's always the, it might not take. You have a much better chance of success with number one, but obviously there's going to be more healing time involved because now I have a hole in the roof of my mouth and surgically aligned gum tissue. Which so, did you pick? Well, number one, obviously. Okay. Because the rate of the they say the rate of success is like ninety nine percent. It's like ninety nine percent that your your own tissue is going to take to your own tissue. It's just right. the healing time sucks. And the I think the last one is the animal, and I think the corpse tissue is actually the second easiest. Do you believe this, bunk funkers? We got fucking Artie Kardashian over here getting getting gum extensions. What the <laughs> fuck is this? It's so fucking vain. You know, I need to have good looking gums, baby. Thinks he's thinks he's all that. Yeah. And friggin' people are always complimenting me on my gums. They're saying, God damn, you got some pink ass gums, boy. Some long pink gums. Ooh, wait, look like you know what you got hubba bubba up in there in them teeth? I say, Yeah. I got hubba bubba grafting on my teeth. Everything's sweet to me. Those gums are so extra, it looks like bubble gum. <laughs> you know what's funny though, is it's because I had braces as a kid. The braces made your gums recede? Yeah, because uh, it's not natural that my teeth were literally um, moved into place aesthetically by metal wires that the roots of my teeth were moved so far forward that they the gums receded. Mm. So it's, it's because of braces. Hmm, that's, so it's, that's great. You know, I think it's great that my parents spent so much money on stupid fucking braces just for me to have to spend money in my adult <laughs> life on gum grafts. Yeah. That is fun. Which is I like wonderful. That. I love it. Yeah. No, obviously having straight teeth is a much better life than having the jagged craziness that could come with my, my teeth were fucked up. We wouldn't want to see art in the big book of British smiles. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of big book of British smiles, where's this? These jagged pointy chompers on the queen. Oh, man, I've never seen these photos of the queen with her jagged pointy teeth. Oh, my God. Um, What do we think about this, Andy? You think the queen is eating people? Uh, I like how I like how the 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 uh, wh- who was the carpenter? The carpenter's name? I can't remember the carpenter. John Bellows. John Bellows made the queen sound like a character from The Shining <laughs> riding around Windsor Castle on an electric scooter at speeds. So fast that she couldn't move her face. <laughs> that her hair is straight back like Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> she can't move the muscles on her face. She's going so fast inside Windsor Castle. On her Asking everybody, you want to play a game? Would you like to play a game? That's odd. <laughs> Usually the blood gets off on the third floor. <laughs> Oh, work and no play makes John Bellows a boring boy. <laughs> <laughs> red rum, red rum, red rum. <laughs> what the fuck? Here's mummy. <laughs> it's like a set of an axe. It's like a croquet mallet or some shit. <laughs> Time for tea, John Bellows. <laughs> animal noises and and loud screams um apparently this was during the early 90s 1992 to be exact a year, year the queen troubles. called 
Honest Horribilius. Yeah. A horrible year. That's it. The year that her sons all divorced their wives or something. Yeah. Uh, Andrew and Fergie got divorced. Uh, Charles and Diana got divorced. Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas? That's right. They were married before <laughs> he became a child molester. <laughs> oh, no. It was probably during while he was a child molester. But I, yeah. Yeah. Both of both both of the royal sons were divorced that year. And uh, so the royal family was obviously under a lot of scrutiny because Diana was very popular. Oh, she was so popular. Um, we discussed her in an episode as well, Bunk Bunkers. Yeah, yeah, you can check that and hear more about the horrible year. Fergie, I think, was fairly popular too. Sarah Ferguson. Um, I don't know. I have no, I have no attachment or recognition or appreciation or care about the royal family yeah, I don't in any give a shit. way shape or form i'm not from the uk yeah uh, it's not part of my life my society my community it, they don't affect me in any way i don't kind of i don't get it so if bong funkers from the uk are offended by this episode i guess we're sorry uh but you know then again i wouldn't really give a fuck if you were making fun of celebrities from america as well yeah you can make, fun, give of our, a fuck. make fun of our presidents we don't care yeah Make fun of all our politicians. Yeah, or um, I don't know. We don't have anything. Make fun of me and Art. We don't care. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like you can a little bit, but like you know, also, I mean, I, you can't have that much bad to say before you get to the point where you're just lying and making things up. True. It's like I I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, maybe it's like occasionally you guys are too, like you guys are too funny and too cool that like you make other people feel bad about themselves which is right. like okay I guess I could you do too that. good a job I guess it would yeah. be like another thing levied at us that right. we care too much yeah we're like too good at podcasting that we make other podcasters you know kind of feel bad about themselves. and these are good burns on us frankly yeah I mean I'm I'm definitely sweating from the heat of these burns yeah yeah I'm sweating for a lot of reasons <laughs> um I, yeah but like I don't I mean we don't have anything even comparable to the royal family in because they have no political power. They're just kind of figureheads that right. people like, right? Right. And if you, I guess you're really into the like Anglicanism, right? Or the Anglican Church, right? You probably care a lot about Church them. of England. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a at this point, it's a, it's a cultural thing, uh, like a point of national pride, I guess. Right. More than it's. Do they wield any actual power there? Obviously, uh, it's funny. The queen is actually the the largest landholder in the world. That's true. By a wide, wide, wide margin because it's things like, technically, the queen owns Canada. Technically, the queen owns Australia. And like all of the Commonwealth lands of the UK technically belong to the queen her majesty yeah but it's a weird you know it's weird it's kind of a weird setup because like those places govern themselves like this is you know i mean if she came in could she like do stuff if she wanted to i don't think i don't think so okay like if she you mean like what if she like showed up showed up in australia with an ak-47 and just started <laughs> blasting ruse out in the yeah. outback yeah yeah i think she could get in trouble for that <laughs> Last and Rose. Which is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Any of us should be able to do that if we want. Australia, what the fuck, dude? Thought you guys were cool. Now, if she went to Canada with an AK-47 and started blasting Ruse, she would for sure get in trouble. Yeah. Because those were all in zoos. That's right. In Canada. <laughs> uh, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think there's obviously a big... Uh, I, I mean, we're we're trying to talk about her as like a cannibal versus like some of this, you know, I think we're, you're kind of... There's like, there's different conspiracies that are being woven into this here. Like, we're focusing on her as a cannibal, but then there's also like the whole adrenochrome thing and like, you know, fucking pedophile rings and all that shit and like right. satanic sacrificing of children and kind of like, well, okay, we're focusing on cannibalism here. Right. Does she yeah. eat people? Right. Um, as a, as a spiritual boon, do they feast on human flesh? Yeah. I mean, and then also Humdinger gives the credit for the queen's long life, I guess, and vitality to the queen is beloved flesh. I guess my question to that would be, does this seem like a particularly vibrant person? Yeah. She kind of just shows up places and like waves and sits down. I do understand that she's old. I do understand (laughs) that she's been on the throne for a while. Oh yeah. I mean, she and I are definitely arm in arm for who can spend the longest time on the throne. Like, (laughs) battling in the Guinness Book of World Records. One gold, one porcelain. Yeah. I guess my question is, does anybody really think that, like, wow, the queen has so much energy? <laughs> I mean, like you said. Yeah, she's she kind of like just... going out there and playing fucking soccer. It's like, oh, and there's the queen. Yeah. She went out onto the pitch to play with the UK national team. I mean, it's not like she's Vladimir Putin and she's putting on skates and people are letting her score 18 goals or whatever. <laughs> like, she's not... It's not anything. Yeah, she's weird. not walking around topless riding a horse, which <laughs> I wish she would. Oh my god. Oh stop, I can only get so hard. <laughs> oh. oh god. Um Yeah, I mean <laughs> I don't really know what else she does. Like people are like, oh she she can drive a car. It's like yeah. Old people can drive a car. She's also getting the best it's medical like, attention. It's not like that they're the asking UK... her to get on the M1 and drive in like <laughs> rush hour traffic or anything. Like she doesn't. She's got a police escort and shit. Like it's not like she's. She doesn't. She she I, also is getting the best medical treatment that the UK has to offer. Right. She she goes and has for her entire life. It's not like she has to like wait on the NHS for anything. Like she's jumping to the front of the line. All of her food is prepared for her. She's eating. A nutritious, healthy life, right. having the best medical attention that money can buy. Uh, anything she's never want for anything in her life ever, yeah. and none of her family is right. They travel the 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 most the hardest thing they have to do is travel to Scotland to see the uh, Scottish strength games, and they get to stay in their fucking massive castle there, and then they travel. Ba- what is with it? Balmoral, Balmoral Castle, and they travel yeah. with their. Their butlers and their <laughs> stylists, household staff, and their entire staff. Yeah, I mean, this is a life of luxury. Yeah, of course you could make it to ninety-two. It's a level fuck ton of energy. Is she ninety-two? I don't know how old she is. Ninety something. I don't even think she's ninety yet. She's in her eighties. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up right now. Bunk bunkers. This is another classic bunker I, segment. How old is the Queen of England? I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna guess. We do it once a year. All right, let's let's submit a guess. 90. And we'll see who's right. I'm saying 90. You're saying 90. I'm going to say I'm going to say that the queen is 88 years of age. Price is right rules. Closest without going over. Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, age 95. Art, you win. Woo! She's old as shit. She's really old. Born April 21st, 1926. 
Okay, so she... I don't think... I think maybe she could have still bought Mamiya. Yeah, she might have been able to buy it from Merck. I mean, again, As her family is German. So, she is old. 95 years old. Still, I have to go back to saying... I don't think that the... I, th I agree with everything that you said, Art. The queen Thank you. the absolute best in medical care, lives a life of luxury, and has for her entire existence. There's never been a point where she did not live 1924. in luxury. I guess. So she could not buy Mamiya. She was born two years after the final sales of Mamiya. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. So what but, were you saying? You know, you can get a mummy if you want one. You want a mummy? That's true. Let me know. You want some fucking organs by, uh, know. you know. Um, well, honestly, I think that, like, even if she wanted organs by proper channels, it's like, I mean, what, are you going to bump the queen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. She sent somebody down to the morgue. I feel like there's people probably lining up to donate a kidney to the queen. Yeah. I mean, I would think so. Also, if a lot she, of people have a lot of love for the royal family. They do. And, and I mean, millions of people watch those damn weddings and all that stupid bullshit. I don't give a fuck. I mean, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but why, why would she, why would she keep her meat her human meat packaged in clear see-through packaging sitting in a freezer? Why wouldn't you? obscure that even a little bit more because if any single person on the planet like came across that I mean I don't know I guess you just assume that everyone will make the same decision these constables did Sworn they open your free freezer and they see a human torso and they go well normally we would do an investigation yeah. and we would immediately arrest the person who had human remains That's in their right. freezer. But since it's the queen, we'll let it slide. Yeah, we'll let it slide. We'll look the other way. No reason. It's just a coin. No reason to identify this corpse or notify the family of this person who was killed uh, or to do any other investigation. We'll just move on. I'll do it all for the queen. For the queen. For my queen. Um, Lightning McQueen. Lightning McQueen, the talking car. Do it all for him. He's got special privileges, he does. So if he wants to chug gasoline and eat a human, then so be it. Ka-chow! Wow! Which car is that? Lightning McQueen! Wow! Ka-chow! Owen Wilson does the voice of Lightning McQueen? Yeah. I've never seen cars. I never have either, but I know that. Owen <laughs> Wilson does the voice of Lightning McQueen. Uh, you've got Larry the Cable Guy as Toe Mater. You have uh, Paul Newman... As Paul Doc, Newman, Doc, uh, you've got. Let's see, who else? Who else are the the big characters? Um, I know nothing about this universe. Cheech Marin plays one of the cars. They have mouths. <laughs> so how do they eat? Are they eating humans? Are the cars? Do the cars? Universe eat humans? Uh, I don't know what's canon in the cars universe. Again, never seen the movie. I assume. <laughs> I assume they eat gasoline, but do they chug gasoline through like their tailpipe, like their butt? Like I guess their tailpipes are their buttholes, but are they putting gasoline through their mouths or are they putting it through their gas 
I'm guessing they put it through their gas holes. Gas and holes. Then I gas think holes. They put it through the gas hole, and I think the mouth is just for talking and for their tongues, because they do have tongues. They have teeth and tongues. Andy, things that have teeth—that's a—that's a predatory trait. Well, I think this is more of a cosmetic thing for the cars. I've never seen a car. Evolutionarily, though, that the teeth means that they're biting things and chewing things. You don't need to do that with gasoline. Well, technically, all the cars franchise should they should have teethless mouth. They should just have holes, but singular Art, holes in the middle of their mouth. Art, there's a fundamental flaw in your argument, which is that you're assuming that the cars evolved and that they weren't created artificially in a lab. Who designed the cars? That's what we don't know. We need a car's origin story and. This is one of the Who biggest. Is their God. This is one of the biggest gaping holes in the entire Cars franchise. Excuse me, one of the biggest gas holes. One of the biggest gaping gas holes in the whole lore of the Cars franchise is how were the cars created? I think this because is, we know there was a Cars World War II. We know that there, there was, was a Cars atomic bomb. We know that there are some events that in the Cars universe that mirror ours. Is Cars in a parallel universe where all the people are Cars or? Is Cars some sort of a creation of another person? Is this like a Planet of the Apes type of situation where it's Planet <laughs> of the Humanoid Cars? We don't know. And it would be really nice if Disney Pixar Oh, you would damn give us some dirty cars. You, you, you blew it up, blew didn't it up. you? <laughs> <laughs> you blew it up, didn't you? You really got her done. <laughs> you damn dirty cars. Get her done. Dr. Mazda, Dr. Mazda, Dr. Mazda, <laughs> Dr. Mazda, Dr. Mazda, Dr. Mazda, Dr. Mazda. Oh, Dr. Mazda. I can play the piano. <laughs> well, I couldn't before. before. <laughs> um, Help me, Dr. Mazda. Uh, <laughs> I hate every car I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. From Toyota to Mitsubishi. <laughs> uh, wait. Uh, Suzuki. Suzuki. Uh, there's no that's in Z, is there? Mercedes. I hate every car I see from Toyota to BMW Z. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I don't. I, I think. I think. We need to use our audience to demand answers from the Pixar, from the Pixar people. Mm -hmm. What is the lore of the Cars universe? Are these, are these humanoids that were transformed in some kind of life-altering event and they don't remember it? Is this a matrix? Is, is, is there a god? Are they living in a car simulation where they don't even understand that they're cars and they have a creator? Is it just a parallel universe? A, a, a universe where almost everything mirrors what happens here in our universe, except instead of people, there are cars. This is also two men who have never seen the Cars movie. Many right. of these answers might, might exist be. in the Cars John Ratzenberger films. plays Mac. You maybe remember John Ratzenberger also played the piggy bank uh, in uh, Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story. And was Cliff Clavin, the mailman from Cheers. Now... I also want every single one of the actors involved in the Cars franchise to be held accountable. So I think that... So Larry Art, and I, Art guy, and I have started a change.org petition. Yep, that's right. 
uh, to uh, <laughs> answer some goddamn lore questions. To either have all of the voice actors in the Cars franchise mm-hmm. answer the questions about the lore and the origin of the Cars universe, or to be uh, arrested and held criminally criminally liable for the misleading of our youth. Would you ever try human flesh? <laughs> no. You ever think it would? Too weird for you? I think it's a line that I don't want to cross. Because you'd What's, like it too much. Yeah, I'm worried that I would get a craving for it. Let's like say in this hypothetical scenario. Yeah. Some person like gave the, okay. hey, you can eat my body. I'm totally chill with that after I'm die- dead. Let, let, let people eat my body. Let's see what's up. You try a little bit? No, nah, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do it. There's a threshold. If if we are if we are starving on a deserted island and we eat a person. Okay, context people, is important, yeah. Context is important. People are okay with that. I'm trying to find the threshold to cannibalism. Yeah. When is it okay? Art is desperate to find when it's okay. No, I have no other motive. I'm just curious. I'm asking for a friend. All right. You and I both eat animals, right? We eat them every day. Let's just say, hypotheticals aside, is there a line for you with animals? Some people draw the line at like horses, dogs, cats, animals that you might have as pets. Right? Yes. There is, a, and it's fucked up. I I agree. Vegans and vegetarians out there, I understand that it's a fucked up line between drawing between a dog and a cow, because cows have feelings, they have emotions, they're very loving animals. Mm-hmm. Um, they think, they feel, uh, but we eat them. Yeah. But so does my dog. But I don't have a dog. I'm just saying. So does a dog, a dog that I would own, or my cat. Yeah. But I want to think twice. I mean, I might pretend to eat my cat. I might take little nibbles out of him and tell him I'm going to eat him. And then he just kind of makes a funny cat face. Yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? I do weird stuff with my cat. I pretend to take little nibbles out of him. I go, <laughs> my cat owners, what's up? You guys know what's up. You guys, all, your take, cat owner, you guys all chew on your cats, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, this is totally not weird at all. <laughs> the other day I grabbed my cat's foot. I tried to hold on to it and he fucking smacked it and then he gave me a dirty look. It was very funny. He actually did that this morning. Cat stories. Um, but yeah, there's a line. There's a line. I won't eat. I won't. I would not even. I don't think I would ever try a dog. I just couldn't do it. Why? I don't know why. I don't know. It's the way I grew up. You, on the other hand, I know your answer is you're like, oh, I'll fucking eat dog all day long. I've never had dog. You hate animals. I, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like. You despise them. I don't care. You know, it's yeah. like. To me, it's like one animal is just another animal, all right? Like, you know, some animals obviously taste better than others or there's better quality. I would eat a penguin. Nutrition. I don't give a fuck about penguins. I'll eat the fuck out of a penguin. Would you eat a hippopotamus? Yeah. Uh, Those motherfuckers kill more humans than anything. Fuck hippos. (laughs) Yeah, we got to strike back. We do. (laughs) Time for humanity to strike back. These fucking hippos are out there fucking systematically murdering us humans. It's time for us to strike back. We're already hitting back against insects. Insect protein is becoming more and more popular. What a, it's going to it's going to help hunger all across the world. Time for us to get some hippo ass. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'll eat insects all day long. I mean, it's weird, dude. It's like 
Endangered species? I don't really give a fuck. I'll eat them. Here's the thing, though. I do kind of draw certain... Dis- I won't eat shark because I know... Like, there are certain distinctions. I won't eat a pangolin. Okay? Why? Because they're just too cute and they're endangered. <laughs> okay? Okay. I won't eat a shark. I won't eat a turtle, probably. I have no desire to eat turtles. But frogs? I could eat a frog. I give a fuck about frogs. Um, what about something like, um, you know, in some countries, it's it's not... It's not that uncommon to eat things like hamster. What countries? Well, like I have a. You're just saying that because you ate your fifth grade class. Or is pet. It, no, you came back from spring break. You were you were the one who was who was designed to eat who had to take home the hamster over spring break, and you came back. You're like, oh, he, Skippy died, yeah. and the whole class was <laughs> sad. But like, really, you ate him. He ran away. I did eat him, uh, and it's time that I admitted on the air that right. I did eat. I did eat this. I did eat Skippy the class hamster. No, I I I said it wrong. It's it's guinea pigs. Uh, I have a friend who's from Ecuador. That's right. And uh, in Ecuador, it's not so uncommon to to eat a guinea pig. Would you eat a guinea pig? Guinea yeah, I don't feel anything pets? for a guinea pig. I'd eat a guinea pig. <laughs> so, so it's really all just based on your personal feeling toward the animal. Yeah, okay. pretty much. Got it. Pretty much. But then I draw the line at human. Because. Why? I don't know, but it just feels wrong. You'll eat any animal under the sun. I'm saying here I but am. But you won't eat something. You won't eat yourself. I recognize the hypocrisy in it that I sit here. I say we consent is the thing that makes it different than corpse medicine. People can donate their organs. They can donate blood. Everybody gives parts of their body away for medical. You can donate your body to science. You can donate your body so that that you know they'll cut you up in medical school so that people can do. I've, you can sexy. watch videos of it. It's on YouTube. It's gross. Exactly. You I, can and, look it up. And this is a very real need in society. Medical students need to understand human anatomy, and the best way to understand it is to actually see human anatomy up close and personal, literally. And they need actual cadavers to dissect. Bunk funkers, there are cadaver dissections on YouTube that you can look up. Actual real life dead bodies you yeah. can watch being cut up. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but this is valid. I'm not cut out for it. But if you're <laughs> cut out for it, oh my god! Oh, oh my god! Oh, okay, stuck that one in. <laughs> but the point is, there's real need for this. And here I am. Here I sit are. here, bunk funkers. I tell you, I am okay with all of this because the person consents. Art's throwing the question back to me. If the person consents, please eat me. Even asks me, please eat my body when I die. And I'm going. I don't think so. I don't feel comfortable. I would be Why tempted. Why do I not feel comfortable? I would be tempted because it's like such a crazy. Oh, yeah, you'd be tempted. Crazy thing to say. Like, I've tried humans. But I'm worried Isn't that about. Fucked up? I'm worried about then having to be able to tell people that I did eat human flesh once and I didn't have to. <laughs> if I if it was if it was a tale of survival, <laughs> if this was a yeah. tale of survival, like you said, <laughs> desert island, if this is a Donner party type yeah, of situation. Maybe worse comes to worse and you have to. Am I going to kill to eat somebody? Probably not. But would I eat them if they were dead? I might. If it was to save myself and they were already dead. Yet here's somebody who's going to say, eat my body. And I'll say, no, thank you. Because I don't want to afterwards somebody say, would you eat human flesh? And I'll be like, actually, I did it. I didn't have to, though. I want to make that clear. Didn't have. No, not a survival situation. They just asked me to, and so I did. I could have had salmon. I could have had it, but I, I decided to have the human just ignored instead. it and had the body taken care of through any normal means. It could have been cremated. It could have been buried. No, I chose to eat it. 
Oh, it's fucked up. I mean, now I'm imagining you. It's like, wow, next on Dateline, the harrowing tale of survival. Andy. And then it's just like, you're on there and you're like, yeah, I had to eat him, though. And I mean, it's like, everyone's like, well, geez. <laughs> I get that Andy had to survive, but like, he's, he won't, like, he was really, he's not remorseful at all about the fact that he had to eat Yeah, yeah, human. no. My next butcher box wasn't getting delivered for another two days, and I only had one pack of pork chops in the freezer, so I pretty much had to eat him. <laughs> Here's the question you for ate you. the fucking delivery man? We made the point a little bit ago, Art, about yeah. insect protein. Oh, yeah. Insects, right, this is part of, along with, like, other genetically modified foods, the insect, insects, like, products are some of the things that are helping to address worldwide hunger it's it's incredible they're they're so readily available they can be farmed like no other kind of animal they they the environmental impact is so much better than any other kind of animal the protein is just as good as most uh like things that we're used to the iron is better they're healthier um it's just getting over the fact that you're eating bugs and i've had cricket Protein, and I've had mealworms before. Human beings die every day all over the world. Every, everywhere humans exist, humans You're die. You're getting into a soil and green situation here. We spend, we use a lot of resources taking care of places to store dead bodies. Think about cemeteries. Grass is inherently environmentally unfriendly. Those places have to be kept up. Nobody wants a wild-looking cemetery. Uh, burning bodies burns fuel. Should we be eating people when they die? <laughs> is that the right thing to do? Oh, God. Do we ever get to a situation where that is a viable fucking Is question? it morally wrong to, if people consent to it, that say, I allow my body to be used for food I when know. I die? Is it wrong if this we is did a, that? This is a, it's just a societal rule. If we say, harvest, I'm an organ donor, I'm a tissue donor... Harvest everything you can medically from me when I die. Eat everything else. I, I it's a. I think this is a societal. Use my bones to make yeah. plastics. We have containers we have no, or something. We have no remorse about taking some dead person's organ and putting it in your body to live. But when it comes, it's a great to, thing. In fact, yeah, it works perfectly. It's 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 a good system. We in fact we have to even gr the demand is huge. We grow organs. They're working on growing organs in labs. Yeah. To be able to, so that people who are waiting can and get And certain an countries are genociding people and harvesting their organs. Right, yeah. They're not even waiting for the labs. Yeah, Art is trying to tell you that he thinks it's a good system. <laughs> <laughs> Why beat the rush? I guess that's the thing. If you start saying, well, dead people can be a food source or there's profit to be made from dead people- does it We're just telling lead, a fucked up line? Does it lead to just more genocide? Because then there's an easy justification, quote unquote justification, for a genocide. Because you can start to say, you can start to rationalize it by saying, well, we had to help other people. This is the greater good kind of yep. thing. I don't know. This is this is way too morally yeah, murky up. territory this for got us. Fucked up. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I do I ever think that we'll hit that point? Not in the near future. But should we be doing it ever now? Should we do it I don't now? know. I think we got other means that we can explore first. Should we? I think we have other means like colonizing another planet and fucking that planet up. It's like super chill. 
Yeah. Uh, let's do that. Let's uh, let's start harvesting bugs and shit too. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I really look forward to the days where we can just sort of planet hop and like oh, fuck, fuck planets up all over the galaxy. Yeah, let's fuck up Neptune, too. Neptune. Neptune's next. We're coming for you. Hey, dude, I'm getting ready to fuck up Uranus, dude. Uranus? Uranus is next. Uranus? Uranus. Uranus? Uranus is mine. Uranus. Uranus. Oh God, heinous! You're heinous. We're heinous. Heinous. We're heinous for Uranus. Um, no, I don't think we need to start eating people. I think, but it's so weird that it's like human beings were totally chill with. Like it's such a it's a societal thing. There's nothing else. Like if you grew up in the New World in some Native American culture or some other different culture, it's like yeah, we eat we eat our relatives because we gain their power. It's like obviously nowadays I think science has crept in a little bit more, and we know that that's not fucking true. Yeah, but, we know that that doesn't do anything and also that it it's potentially probably unhealthy. Yeah. You know, because depending on what Very the person unsterile. died of, like, it's probably not a great idea. Right. I think the real thing with Europeans, and this is true for most European history, is I think that corpse medicine gets back to the fundamental dehumanization of everybody who's not the European person, right? <laughs> because it's almost like you can, you know, at first it's like, oh, these are old Egyptian corpses. Like, they're not people anymore. Who gives a like, fuck? We don't care. These are long dead. And then it's like, well, it's the Irish. Nobody fucking cares about <laughs> the Irish. And then it's like, eh, these guys were criminals. Who fucking cares? Redheads? Kyler, they're probably Irish. So it's like, <laughs> there's, you notice it's never just like, oh, well, if you're, you know, if your local uh, MP died, like, you could eat his body and gain his power. It's like, no, 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 no. We only want the dregs, the people that right. we can dehumanize so much that we don't have to think about them actually being people yeah, anymore. Yeah, it was like they need to have died a violent death. It's like, well, who's dying violent deaths? <laughs> yeah. The king ain't dying in a fucking violent... I mean, he might, but, you know. Ask King Charles the First. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people paid fucking, like, I think... It was some, like... It, it was, like, top dollar to get some of that dude's blood. Oh, yeah. That was good blood. <gasps> when he got beheaded. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you if you took a little bit of King Charles the First blood, you were probably feeling Oliver Crom well after that. You know, just for that, I think I'm going to eat you. <laughs> I'm going to eat you. You know what? Go ferment and horse shit for that one. <laughs> Honestly, well, I might smell better. I don't know, Andy. We've we've gotten far off track here. I think this is an interesting <laughs> topic, but we have not even talked about is the if the queen is a cannibal. There's just nothing. Would we care? I guess we would care. That would be a massive. Story. Yeah, I would be. It would be a massive story. I agree with you. It I think kind of fucked up. It would be pretty fucked up to find out that the queen was eating human flesh. But I just have to go back to the whole thing. The underlying yeah, why reason human flesh is that it makes her somehow vivacious and vibrant. And it's like, no, this. I mean, for all the reasons that we said, this is a ninety-five-year-old person who has the greatest medical care that the UK has to offer. The entire, you know, whatever anywhere in the UK. On demand at any point, people watching her every move, uh, studying her every ailment, a person who lives a life full of luxuries. It's no wonder that this person could be in good health at 95 years old. You know, if I had this kind of life, I could probably live to 65. Way exceeding expectations. 
But I also don't see the queen and go, oh, phew, this is just strutting around like a 54-year-old. Like, I mean, looks like a 90-year-old person. I mean, I said 88. So obviously yeah. I think I'm giving her seven years, but yeah. I mean, still, it seems like a really old person. Again, she just kind of walks around waves and then leaves. Yeah. Like, again, she's not this fucking spring chicken. I mean, look, I'm I'm 75 years old tomorrow, and I have seen, I have watched a lot of the Queen's life. <laughs> and there's a clear, if you, if, if I were to look at the Queen from 20 years ago to today, she looks a lot older. She looks older. She acts older. Everything about her is older. I don't see... If she is eating human flesh, eat more of it because it's not doing the trick. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> Dumb fucking queen. God Stupid damn. dummy. God damn. Lucky you're born the queen because you wouldn't do jack shit if you were a commoner. Yeah. You'd, you'd be, be shoveling shit. You'd be shoveling shit. You'd be working in the stables. All right. Let's get to verdicts then, I guess, Andy, because we're already here. We're already in the verdict yeah. land. We need to get out of this weird of world of questionable morality. Yeah. So... You, what we're rating the plausibility on to me today is the plausibility of the Queen of England being a cannibal. Yes. Right? Uh, Corpse medicine was real. That was just history. Yeah, that's just history. So there's nothing really to 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 say there. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a a verdict that I think will shock you. Okay. Uh is the queen a cannibal? Case confirmed. The queen is yes, a cannibal. Art's shocked. He's stunned. Uh, what do you mean? The machines of power that keep the monarchy elevated above everybody else. All it does is eat up and spit out human beings. <laughs> oh, my as though, God. As though they are cattle. Oh, Jesus fucking so Christ. is the queen a cannibal? 100%. <laughs> is she actually eating human flesh? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, but I'm giving a very, I'm giving a very TJW a, sort of verdict here, right? What a fucking verdict! Huh? Shout out TJW of the Pick, Pick Me, Me Pod. TJ, let us know how how I did on that verdict. Wow, uh, bunk fuckers, I am stunned. <laughs> uh, oh man, I broke Art's brain with that one. This is I with that, that was the most Andy verdict I've ever been been party to and witness to. Um truly. Party, dude. Um geez Louise. I don't I don't even know how to follow that one up, Bunk Funkers, with but other, I'm just gonna have to give my verdict. I do think though, here's the thing, Bunk Funkers. I know some of you are probably sitting there saying, like, well, you got love with the fucking pedophiles and the adrenochrome and the blood under the butt and the doing under the fucking shit. Come on. It's like, we hear you, we hear you, we hear you. We hear you. We don't know what you're saying, but we hear you. We don't you. know what you're saying. Speak <laughs> clearly. Okay. Enunciate. Enunciate your words. We're trying to talk about if she's a fucking cannibal, not if they're covering up um, massive pedophile rings within their family, not if they fucking do yeah. weird satanic rituals, or if they, you know, I don't know. She probably gets, like, she probably gets blood transfusions, like, Athletes and famous people do that shit all the time, and it like why do you think Keith Richards can still live? It's like yeah, he goes to Switzerland like yeah once a year or once every five years or yeah. something, and he has his blood, his blood completely flush yeah from his body and new blood put in. It's kind of cannibalistic, yeah, a little bit. You're not drinking because first you're... of all, that's elective. Yeah. That's not nobody's saying that uh, Keith, you have to come every so often and right. have all of your blood flushed. 
I guess it's not morally questionable because the people who are donating that blood are. No, I will say it's morally questionable. You think it's morally questionable because what? Who else could have used that blood instead of Keith Richards, who's doing it purely, <laughs> I, again, not for a specific health ailment, right? Other than to prolong his own life. I mean, in a way, to me, that's morally questionable. I mean, if we take it at the fact of the Hubert Hundinger thing, um, you know, I think the queen isn't doing this for nourishment. Keith Richards, I guess, isn't doing that for nourishment. Well, maybe he is kind of a little bit, but it's like it's more of like a power thing. Like, I can do this. I can't afford to go to Switzerland, have my blood completely removed and redone so that I feel invigorated and I can live my life after I've fucking (laughs) like put my body through hell <laughs> for most of it <laughs> so that I can prolong my own life. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say plausible smidge. Okay. And I'm also going to say uh, case closed. Hubert Humdinger does not exist. He was a fabrication <laughs> of dear, dirty America Yeah. and um, does not exist. And in fact, I think that whole, if you actually read any of that dear, dear, dirty America, dear, dirty America articles, there's a lot of like jokes thrown in there. Some of this stuff seems tongue-in-cheek. silly. It's very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, like, I, I, you know, it's hard to tell at some point if... Like he think, wrote the article and he's like, we're still awaiting the constable's tell-all book st- rifling through the queen's undies. Yeah. You know, like, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. So I'm going to go case closed. I don't think Hubert Humdinger is real. There's no photos of him. There's no, there's no way in fuck... That 367 books were wiped clean from the U.S. The fa- Not from the, just the U.S., yeah. but from the face of the earth so that none of them exist anymore. Like, people can still get access to the Anarchist Cookbook and Mein Kampf pretty easily. So, right. yeah. And those are pretty controversial books. Yeah. So I don't think anything that Hubert Humdinger said could ever actually be removed. This would be like the, the first time in history, to my knowledge, that some, some piece of literature was wiped completely off the face of the earth since the fire at the Library of Alexandria. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, case case closed on that. But plausible smidge on the... Maybe the queen is at it. <laughs> maybe she's nibbled on a person before just because she can. Ooh, why not? Why wouldn't she? Because she, she could. could. She mm-hmm. can do literally anything on the you earth. Get away with anything, huh? You know? Just do it. You get power hungry. You, just, you, know, you, you get to that, that echelon of true power. True power. can literally... Move a mountain. I mean, if she literally said, hey, dig up that mountain and move it to another location, <laughs> probably could get done. Well, i do it for McQueen. Do it for the Queen. For Lightning McQueen. You might uh, you might take a nibble out of a human just be, just to say you can. Just to show people that you're not fucking around. You're not fucking around. But uh, I don't think she has jagged teeth. Um, <laughs> she probably has very nice teeth. She's got jagger teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Queenie was a rolling stone. Um, no moss is growing on her skull. Rolling skull gathers no moss. That's true. Those were our verdicts on Is the Queen a Cannibal and the History of Corpse Medicine. Let us know what you think. Email us, MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MrBunkerPod. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash MrBunkerPod. And if you feel so inclined, you have the means to do so, want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash MrBunkerPod. Five bucks a month. We'll get you access to the Bunker Discord. We can chat with Andy and I and all the other Bunker Bunkers. Bunk bunkers. <laughs> uh, and you can get access to our Patreon-only show, Andy and Art Debunked, covering a lot of fun, weird topics, just like this one. Um, new episodes every single month of that. Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. Andy, well, another great 
topic where we talk about our weird, morally questionable beliefs. Yeah. I mean, tell us what you think, Funk Funkers. Um, use the hashtag. Wow, I want to say hashtag. Oh, the hashtag. I forgot the hashtag. I want to say hashtag fermented in horse shit. Yeah. Ferment your <laughs> fermented in horse shit. Fermented uh, in horse shit. Is that too long? Sure. Okay. But are you seem okay with it? Yeah, let's just do it. Okay, fermented in horse shit. Honestly, this will probably become the tagline of this show. That's true. This Mr. show Bunker's is fermented in horse time shit. podcast. Fermented in horse shit, quote, in quotes, fermented in horse shit, attributed to Hubert Humdinger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, I mean, that's 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 the true tagline. Not what I'm about to say, which is for the titular, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my uh, dentifrice. <laughs> Dental fries? <laughs> dentifrice. Dentifris. Dentifris. I don't, I don't know what that means. Sure. Co-host Andy Hart. I'll have to look it up. I hope it's flattering. Saying that was the whole enchilada. Yummy. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon.